0: Good morning, church. How's everybody this morning? Where's all my gamecocks at? Uh, I know. Pastor Jeff told me because I was speaking about Stephen being the first martyr today, I needed to wear my gamecock shirt. I said not funny, but did anyway. Um, Listen, I want to get that out of the way before we do anything else. So, Good morning church, my name is Trevor Miller. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb and I do consider it a great honor this morning to be able to open up God's word together to allow him to teach us something new that we might be formed into the people that he wants us to be. You know, a couple weeks ago we started this brand new series called On the Move and we talked about this book called The Book of Acts and how Acts is actually a two-part volume, a two-part work between Luke and Acts. And Luke begins to tell us about the things that Jesus began to teach and do and then in Acts, we hear about the things that Jesus continued to do and teach through his Holy Spirit and through his, uh, his followers in the book of Acts. And so we've learned a couple of things over the past two weeks. The first one is the power that's behind a movement of God. And that power is the Holy Spirit. It comes in chapter one it enlivens them and empowers them to do all kinds of amazing things. Last week, we talked about the purpose of the movement. And the purpose is very, very clear. It's made clear in chapter three and four. And the purpose is simply this. It's the gospel, It's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the good news is, as we've been reading throughout the book of Acts, the work of God began there, but it didn't stop there. It's actually continued on all throughout history till we find ourselves today. And so for you and I, the same Holy Spirit, the same purpose can motivate us and enliven us and inspire us this morning. That is the goal. But with any movement, whether it's big or it's small, any movement has to have pioneers. It has to have people who go first. Uh, when I was young, like in middle school, one of my favorite classes in, in school was computer lab. And I'll be very clear, not because I'm like a great typer. I don't think it was even called a typer. I don't know what it's called. Not because I like enjoyed anything like that, but because at the end of computer lab each day, once I finished up my work, we got to play this really great game called Oregon Trail. Anybody in the room? Come on, you know you're one of those people. This game right here, I'll show you a picture of it. Remember this? Oh, it brings back all the feels, doesn't it? Remember this game, you guys like name your fake 19th century family? Like I had all these names, like Tyrone, was like always one of the kids' names that I had in my wagon or whatever. So you'd pack up your wagon and you'd head out west and you play Oregon Trail and all kinds of things happened. So you had to like, you know, change a tire in the mud along the way. This wooden tire would break open. and You had to go hunting to feed your family for like rabbits and, and bison, was, like my favorite thing. At the very end, then you had to traverse uh, really difficult rapids with your wagon, all this stuff. And then who doesn't know the pain of death from snake bites, dysentery, and measles, and other things, correct? It's a tough game. If I learned nothing else from computer lab, it was this. Being a pioneer was no joke. Like, to go out west, it was a hard task. You had to face a lot of things. And with any kind of pioneer in our history, the same thing is true. There's three that I think of right away. The first one, in 1914, there was a British explorer by the name of Ernest Shackleton. You may have never heard of him. This is a picture, that's a sweet middle part right there. Ernest Shackleton. So this guy, in 1914, he had a ship called the Endurance and they left in this ship called the Endurance to go to Antarctica. He and a really brave crew, they had a journey called the Imperial Trans-Antarctic Expedition and their goal was to cross Antarctica before anybody else in the world. So there's really great books and history about this but their ship was crushed by the ice and for two years, Ernest Shackleton led them bravely and every one of them survived and they were rescued two years later. It's an incredible story. In 1932, there was a woman named Amelia Earhart. I'll show you that picture, too. Now, Amelia Earhart, she was the first woman to solo fly across the Atlantic Ocean. She set records for speed and for altitude. She was a symbol of courage and determination. She was, at one point in time, flying around the world along the equator and her plane, the Lockheed Electra, disappeared into the Pacific Ocean in 1937, never to be seen again. And then in 1963, there was a black man named Martin Luther King Jr. He marched on Washington alongside of thousands of others and delivered a very famous speech, the I Have a Dream speech. It was Martin Luther King Jr., his bravery, his tenacity that helped then pave the way for the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that outlawed racial segregation and discrimination. And tragically, April 4th, 1968, while in Memphis, Tennessee, he was assassinated. his legacy lives on still today for many who continue to fight for racial reconciliation reconciliation right now, right before us. Every one of these individuals is a pioneer. They did things that no one had ever done before. They did hard things. They risked everything. And one thing's for sure, being a pioneer is not easy. And if you're gonna be a pioneer, then you better know it's gonna be some risk involved. You better have some staunch faith. You better be willing to lay it all on the line but when someone is willing to make the first move, it paves the way for everyone else to follow. In the book of Acts, it's really a book about individuals who are willing to trust the power and purpose of God to expand this good news of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection to everyone, everywhere. And there's this one person I wanna focus on this morning in the book of Acts, who just like Shackleton, Earhart, MLK Jr., was willing to lay it all on the line for the sake of the cause. And so in Acts chapter 6, we meet this individual starting in verse 1. Here's what the Bible says It says In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who you know are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn these responsibilities over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Verse five, this proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and also Philip and a whole bunch of other names I can't pronounce until Nicholas. He was from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented them all to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So in the story, in Acts chapter six, a little background to what's happening in chapter six. As you know, for the past couple of weeks, the church was exploding at this point in time. Like God was on the move and the preceding chapters of Acts tell us that there were literally thousands of people who were joining this early church movement a lot of people were flooding in. It was picking up steam. And so because of this, there was a lot of demands that were being placed upon the disciples then to not just preach and teach the word of God, which has caused the explosion, but also to take care of people within the church, congregational care. As we heard earlier from Pastor Michael, I mean, people like Stephen ministers and people who visit folks in the hospital, this was the kind of need that was starting to arise. But there was a bit of conflict in the church, and the reason there was conflict, it it happened between two different distinct groups of Jews, the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. Now these two individuals had different backgrounds, different language, different cultures. The Hellenistic Jews had embraced Greek culture and Greek customs and philosophy. The Hebraic Jews were more traditional in their Jewish practices and cultural customs. But the conflict arose because the Hellenistic Jews were convinced that the Hebraic Jews were not taking care of their widows. Folks who couldn't feed themselves, take care of themselves, and they felt like they were not being fed properly. The distribution of food was not equal. So in response, the 12 disciples called all the leaders together, and they came together and said, listen, it would not be right for us to give up the preaching and teaching of God's word and the growth of the church. That's what's exploding right now. But at the same time, we've got to take care of the needs of the people. So what they decided to do is they invited everyone to come together and to decide, Pick seven people who will be the ones who will wait the tables and take care of the widows. Choose seven. Now, what I see already from chapter six is a couple of things. Number one, a movement of God is stretching, it's not static. Like a movement of God is always going to stretch us. It's always gonna push us into places we've never been before. It's always gonna ask more of us than we're willing to give. It's stretching, it's not static. So I played football from like sixth grade to my freshman year of college. And in sixth grade, till my sophomore year of high school, my skills on the field were pretty limited. And there's probably a lot of reasons for that. One, I was very tiny. But also, the first 10 minutes of practice, which actually are the most important minutes of practice, I consider to be goof off time. You know what 10, the first 10 minutes are? Stretching. I mean, it's so boring. Like you sit there in the grass, and you have know, the cowboy stretch, and all these other kinds of things. So I'm like talking to my friends, goofing off, not paying any attention, like leaning in the direction that I'm supposed to be stretching, but not really doing anything. And just to give you a little insight into Trevor Miller, I'm not the most flexible individual in the world, never have been. So the fact that I wasn't stretching before games, before practice, it limited everything. It limited my speed, my abilities, my skills. So finally my sophomore year of high school, I realized this is actually a big deal. Like I should probably pay a little more attention during the 10 minutes of stretching and maybe maybe, uh, make it a little harder on myself and it changed everything, like everything. I became faster, there was more touchdowns, receptions, yards, all of the above began to change simply because I was willing to stretch myself just a little bit. You know, this church, I should remember this from nine o'clock, this church has existed since 1875. Just so you know, some of y'all are like, I thought I was here like 10 years ago. 1875, Mount Horb has been here. Since 1875, there have been a lot of changes to our culture, a lot of changes to this community, a lot of changes within the church. And so because of that, there had to be a stretching nature for Mount Horb to continue to make a difference in this community and around the world. I mean, the method that took place then would not work today. Just with the past 20 years, things have changed so much within our culture. The church had to be willing to stretch and try new things and do things that never happened before. Now, want to be very, very clear. The message doesn't change. It doesn't change through the book of Acts, The message hasn't changed for us today. The message is always the same. Life, death, resurrection of Jesus, a chance for transformation and new life. That's always the message. But the method has to change. It's gotta look different because a movement of God is never static. It's always stretching. It should always be a bit uncomfortable because we're doing new stuff. So maybe for you, it might mean this. Maybe in this room, there are probably many of us who haven't stretched our ministry muscles maybe in years. Like maybe years ago, you used to do this thing, but you've retired from that. You're done with that thing, and now you're just enjoying life. And maybe it's time to stretch those muscles a little bit again and get involved somewhere. Maybe there's a need that, that this church is not addressing, but you're like, somebody should do something about that. Stretch those muscles. Maybe some of us in the room, we've never done anything. We've never served a minute of our life. And maybe it's a time to be stretched a bit, to serve kids, to serve middle schoolers. <clears throat> it's a tough one to help people in grief, like a Stephen minister, to serve by building ramps in this community alongside of others, by feeding the hungry, by going overseas, India, Liberia, other places. To be on the move with God means that we're gonna be pushed a little bit, we're gonna be stretched a little bit, but that's what makes good pioneers. That's what makes people that that go first, the people who are willing to go where nobody else has gone before. And so the leaders in Acts chapter six, they speak and say, we need seven people who are going to be willing to do this new ministry of taking care of the widows. But they give a bit of a criteria here. They say choose seven people who are filled with the Spirit and who are full of wisdom to be given the important task of taking care of the widows among us. It's important to note here, I believe that the Bible suggests there are some qualifications to a pioneer. And I wanna be clear, it's not perfection. That's not what qualifies you. But it's someone who is positioned for the work of God that he's called them to. Notice in the passage, they don't say, listen, find a bunch of young people. You find a bunch of young people, then we can get this work done. We can take care of the, or find a bunch of seasoned people. You like how I did that? Seasoned individuals, maybe a little, along in years, some wisdom on them. Find those people, they'll be the one to serve. No, no, the only criteria is people who are filled by the Holy Spirit and people who exemplify wisdom in their life. We need seven people like that. And if we can find seven people like that, we can give them to this great ministry that's going on here. I've been in this church for a long time and there's people that I've come across that off the rip, I just know these are pioneers of faith. I can tell because the spirit seems to be within them. I can tell because I, can, I see the wisdom in their life. I wanna warn you this morning, if you're gonna be a pioneer for God, if you're gonna be someone who serves him, maybe a place you've never gone before, A movement is very heavy. A movement of God is very heavy. And so your character and your integrity have to be able to uphold that. It's heavy. You get involved in things that God is doing. You gotta make sure character and integrity can handle the weight. A movement can be fast. So it's gotta make sure your faith can keep up with it. But if you wanna be a trailblazer in ministry, you have to ask yourself, do you exemplify the kind of person who lives by God's spirit? Are you the kind of person who is eager to share Jesus with people? Are you sensitive to sin in your own life? Are you aware of the deep needs of people around you? Do you exemplify God's wisdom in your life? Are your choices the kind that God would approve of? Do you love people? These are the kinds of things that they were looking for in the seven that they would choose. Are you mindful of the consequences of your actions? In order to be a part of the movement of God in Acts, these were some of the criteria. Are they filled with the spirit of God? Are they filled with wisdom? Are they willing to do new things and be faithful in all their ways? So in order for the church to move forward, this had to take place. My question this morning is, I just, I just have to believe there's pioneers among us. There's people in this room that fit that. They maybe haven't stretched their ministry muscles, but God is calling them to do so. And so in Acts chapter six, they choose seven people. They choose Stephen, Philip, and others, and then Nicholas. And then it says this, but Stephen is the only one who has any commentary about him. Do you notice that? The Bible says that Stephen was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. I don't don't know about you, but I wanna be someone that lives their life in such a way that that kind of thing could be said about me. I would wanna be the kind of person who is listed in that seven. In fact, I would wanna be the kind of person that had the kind of commentary said about them and good, by the way. I want that. My prayer is that we would all want that as pioneers of the faith. And so Stephen begins his pioneering ministry. He's one of the seven who are chosen. He begins to serve the widows just like as was planned. Then here's what it says, that in Acts chapter six, verse eight through 10. Now Stephen, a man full of grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Verse nine, opposition arose, however from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, also as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. Verse 10, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit of God had given him to speak. So Stephen right away begins his ministry. The Bible says that he's performing wonders and signs. He's serving in the way that he should. He's a man full of faith, but right away there's opposition that arises. People push back on him. You see, Stephen, his main purpose was the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. He rose from the dead, and he is the only way to God. These were things that were not popular within the religious sect at that point in time. Jewish people in the synagogue were having a major problem with what Stephen was saying, so they began to push back on him. But Stephen would, would push back. He, Jesus is the answer to any question. He's the healing to any wound. He is the way to God. So over and over again, there was conflict here. And these people were stirred up against Stephen. If you're gonna be someone who's a pioneer in the faith, I just want you to know, just like Stephen, you better expect opposition when God is on the move. Just expect it. Don't be surprised by it. Like if you're gonna do your best to serve Jesus, fair warning, faithful pioneers will always have the evil one pushed back against them. It never fails. When I've seen people who have lived for the truth of Jesus, churches who have lived out for the truth of Jesus, vocal and proactive, their faith in Jesus, opposition is always there. Years ago, uh, we began to partner with a ministry called Next Step, Mount Horeb did, and this ministry was gonna bring students, hundreds of students from around the country to come and serve here in Lexington County. They were gonna stay at Mount Horeb and then go out each day to serve all throughout the summer. And I remember when we first came together and we we're gonna spearhead this new ministry, next step came, Mount Horib was there, there were different ministry partners in the area. We began to pray and we partnered with the Columbia Police Department to decide what is the area of greatest need? Like what's God up to? Where's God moving? And so they determined there was this one community that we were gonna serve. The Columbia Police Department said, this is a major need. There's a lot of drugs in this neighborhood. There's a lot of trafficking in this neighborhood. When it comes to drugs, there was crime that was, uh, that was not great. There was a lot of things. That the, the neighborhood had really gone downhill. And so I remember when we decided to do this, the police department said, listen, we're gonna go in with you. Like when this whole thing happens right away, we're gonna come in, we'll we'll give you an escort into the neighborhood. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. So I'm gonna invite parents from around the country to bring their children here and go into this neighborhood as we are escorted in by police. And so I remember the first day that we went to this community and the police were with us and we were going door to door and meeting people and and, uh, talking to different uh, kind of leaders in the community. And we were identifying what roofs needed to be replaced, what yards could be reclaimed, what needed to be painted and fixed and so forth. And I remember there was many people who were so excited that we were there because they wanted their neighborhood back. They wanted it to be safe for their children and so forth. There were many people in the community that were not excited that we were there, that we were walking around with police, that we were knocking on doors, meeting people and so forth, but we did it anyway. So sure enough, hundreds of kids that first summer went into this community and began to serve. We replaced roofs. We replaced roofs. Took care of yards, we painted things, we, we did all kinds of stuff in this community. And after a couple of years of serving there, it was incredible. I'll be honest with you, as a youth pastor who should be full of faith, I was terrified. I was like, this is not gonna go well. I, I can't imagine, based upon what I know and what's happening here, that this is gonna go the way that we're wanting it to go. But we just felt like it was the right thing to do. And so within a few years, we got reports back from the Columbia Police Department and basically crime had plummeted in the neighborhood. And a lot of those who were trafficking drugs had decided to move out to go to other places because they couldn't stay there anymore with all the activity that was going on. There was pride that started to rise up in the, the community members again. They started their own HOA and they began to really bring things back to life within the community. It was incredible. But the reason that it worked was because there was people who were willing to be pioneers, who were willing to go where nobody else had gone before to step into risk, to step into danger, believing that God was gonna do something really great. But every step along the way, there was opposition to all of it. You see, when God awakens you to a pioneering effort and to pursue him, you just better know there's gonna be difficulty. Like if you're gonna start serving in some kind of way and take it seriously, you just have to know there's gonna be chaos that will rise around you. Like You'll get text messages. You'll get nasty emails. There'll be rumors spread about you. I can't explain it, but your car will have trouble. Your appliances in your house will stop working. It just happens. And here's why I think it's really true. I mean, it's funny, but it's also like, dead on the nose, because the evil one hates it. I mean, he hates it when we start doing things to make a difference for the kingdom. And so when that happens, there's all kinds of chaos that will always swirl, things that will try to steal our attention from what God is doing. There'll be people that are well-meaning within the church that try to steal the attention of what God is doing. And It's a really difficult place to be. But if you're gonna be a pioneer, you just better expect it's gonna happen. Don't let it dissuade you. Don't let it pull you away. But instead, if you are living a life that is faithful to God, it is the proof that you are right in the middle of the move of God. It will show you that you're doing the right thing. But all those who oppose Stephen, the Bible says, they spoke out against him, they pushed back against him, but he was so filled with the Spirit, the Bible says in chapter six, verse 15, that his face shone like an angel. That's beautiful. That in all the accusation and things that were said back to Stephen, The way he presented himself, the way he handled himself was such where his face shone like an angel, the spirit of God was in him and through him. So they asked Stephen to account for all the things that he had said. So he launches then in chapter seven into this long sermon that he preaches to everybody who will listen about the whole Jewish history. Takes them through everything that they would have known about. And basically says at the very end, that Messiah, the one you've been waiting for who would come to rescue all of us, you just killed on a Roman cross as you can imagine, it made everybody very happy. No, it did not. When Stephen says this, everything explodes. I mean, people are furious in the synagogues, but Stephen speaks truth where it's not popular. And Stephen says things to the crowd they don't wanna hear, but he knows they need to hear. And the Bible says they are indignant. And so in chapter seven, here's the response to Stephen after he's he's been arrested and accused Chapter seven, verse 54 through 60. Stephen says all of this, and then it says in 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. I'm not sure if you've ever had anybody gnashed their teeth at you, but it's not good. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, Stephen said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. They all rushed him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. Now to be clear, Stephen doesn't take a nap, Stephen dies. So he's stoned to death by these murderers. He actually becomes the first martyr in the early church movement. He's the first one to lose his life on behalf of his faith in Jesus. And something happens then following chapter seven where the church explodes and everything begins to grow. And the reason is because of Stephen's stoning, there's an open floodgate of persecution on the Christians at that point in time. Persecution really ramps up and the church scatters. But as the church scatters everywhere, going with the church is the truth of Jesus. And so all of a sudden they're sharing everywhere they go about this Jesus who who was crucified, resurrected from the dead, who is the Messiah, who is the one to rescue us. And because of that, everything begins, the church begins to explode in growth. I said this two weeks ago, but there's the early church father, Tertullian, he speaks to this when he says, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Wherever the people of Jesus bleed, that's where the church grows. And this certainly is what happens here in Acts chapter six and seven. And it's important to look all the way back to chapter one. Chapter one, verse eight is where, we read about two weeks ago, Uh, the writer says, the spirit of God will come upon you and when it does, you'll be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the very ends of the earth. You see, the intention from chapter one is that this good news of Jesus would, would go out to places that had never been before. But by chapter seven in Stephen, it has not happened yet. They're still comfortable in Jerusalem. But it takes Stephen, someone who bleeds first, Someone who goes first for the church to begin to grow in number. You see, with any kind of movement, big or small, someone has to bleed first. Someone's gotta take the risk. Someone's gotta do something that nobody else is willing to do. Here's the truth today. In this room right now, there are many of us who are able to look at the world around us and recognize things that are broken. There's probably many in the chairs this morning that could look and and say, wow, children being trafficked around the world, children being sold into trafficking, that is not okay. Someone should really do something about that. And there might be many of us this morning who look around and we see the broken nuclear family. We have like the normality of divorce or infidelity or broken homes in our community. And many of us can look around and say, that's not okay, we don't want it to, but nobody's doing anything about it. Or to look and, and say there's addiction in our community that's killing people, there's pornography and poverty and racism and suicide. And many of us can look around and say, this seems broken, someone really ought to do something about this. And the question simply is this, if, if we can see that, maybe somebody is us. Like maybe we're the people that need to do something about this. Let's quit waiting for somebody else to, to get off the chair. Let's be the first one to go, to bleed first. When I was in middle school, I grew up in a little town called Wilmore, Kentucky, it's where Asbury University, Asbury Seminary is, and so my dad was an Asbury student, and so any of my friends who were associated with Asbury too, there was a, a building that was being built that had a brand new local pool in it, and it was called the Luce Center. And I remember how excited we were to have this like local pool that we could go swim at, because our dads went to school at Asbury and stuff, and uh, in the summertime, they had this rec program that we could join, and in the rec program, we could go and swim, and we went that summer for the first time to the pool, I remember how it smelled all chlorine and stuff. Is that a word, chlorine? It smelled like, a lot like chlorine. And we walked in, we walked into the pool, and you could see across the pool on the far end, there was a high dive. And as soon as we walked in, we're like, oh man, high dive. And so, but we're like, we're kids, you know, so we're like, we're like talking about it, but we all know nobody's doing that. But it looks really cool. And next to the high dive, there was a, a regular like, uh, uh, what do you jump off the thing? Diving board, thank you. So there was that. And we're all like, that looks fun too. So we're like jumping off the diving board and stuff. But the whole time, we're like, somebody go do the high dive, man. Like, yeah, like you should do the high dive. And we're like trying to push each other high dive. And one by one, we're like climbing up the ladder and we'll get to the top and you go to the edge. And you know, you go to the edge, you look down, you're like, there's no way I'm doing that. So you turn around and you go back down the ladder and just over, I mean, for like hours, we're like fighting with each other. Like, somebody go off the high dive. And finally, there's this one kid. He's like, fine, I'll do it. And so he goes up on top of the high dive and he goes to the edge. And you ever seen somebody jump off of something really high? It's like the most pathetic jump you've ever seen. Like, they like just kind of crumble off the edge. And he's like, just falls, you know, hits the water. We're like, he's dead. Like, they're going to pull him out of the pool, take him to his mom, dad. I'm like, really sorry, the high dive. But instead, he comes out of the water and he's like, yes. And every one of us were like, yes, let's do the high dive. And all of us, just like that, we jumped out of the high dive. Why? Because one person was willing to risk it. And he didn't die. Steven's different story, but keep with the story. He didn't die. We can do it too. Like there's something that happens when one of us are willing to believe, when one of us are willing to be honest, when one of us are willing to step forward, when one of us are willing to give our resources, when one of us are willing to serve, where others might see that and be like, man, if they can do it, then I can do it too. If they see it as that important, I wanna see it as that important as well. Pioneering though is a lonely place. You see, when Stephen dies in this story in Acts chapter seven, Stephen is all by himself. The other six are not mentioned. In fact, the only person who's mentioned there with Stephen as he dies is Jesus. And the Bible says when Stephen looks up, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Now, commentators can't agree on this necessarily, but... Some of them say this is a really big deal and some say it's probably just an author's way of putting a little detail in there that maybe isn't that significant. But the fact that Jesus is standing next to the Father can mean one of two things. One, it's just the author's way of talking about it. Because every other place within the Gospels and within the Bible, Jesus is seated next to the Father. But as Stephen is stoned and killed, Jesus is standing. So some commentators think it's actually a very big deal that potentially what is happening here is Jesus is standing next to the Father because it's praise for a pioneer. Like it's praise for someone who has stood up for what is true, what is right, what is good. And so Jesus is standing. I would argue, I think it's a really big deal what's happening here. Now, before Stephen ever makes it to this place, we have to understand that Stephen was doing other things first. Preparation precedes any kind of pioneering. Where Stephen was a martyr, he didn't set out to die for his faith, he set out to be faithful. He didn't set out to get his name in the Bible, he set out just to take care of the lost and the forgotten, the widows. That was the intention. But before Stephen ever has this catalyst of growth to the church, he was waiting tables and taking care of widows. He wasn't there to make a name for himself, he was there to make a name for Christ. I've noticed that when it comes to being a pioneer for Jesus, There's kind of two responses that we have. Number one, we're terrified. We want nothing to do with it. It scares us to death. Or number two, I have found there are some people that are chomping at the bit to be a part of what God is doing. I was the second person. When I went to Bible college, when I got out, I thought I'm ready for all of it. Senior pastor, here I come, like I'm ready for all this. I'm writing books, I'm doing all this stuff. When I got out of college, I was working with middle school students, which is fine. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, I wanna do big stuff for God. Like this is, this is you know, kind of small corner of Fox Glen, Lexington, whatever, like there's gotta be more than this. But I began to realize very quickly that what God had called me to was be faithful with what I was doing right then, not try to push forward to what was next. Your preparation always precedes pioneering. And so for some of us this morning, I just wanna remind you that maybe the things that God has called you to right now seem really insignificant. I was just handing out cheese and apples to kids at vacation Bible schools, no big deal. I think it is a big deal because you're learning things there that, that you're gonna use for whatever God brings you to next. Maybe this morning you held a door for folks that came in and you welcomed them and you might think, not a big deal. It's a big deal. It's preparation for whatever God has for you next. You're learning things that you would never be able to learn any other way. See, before Moses ever led God's people out of Egypt, he was leading sheep in the wilderness. Before David ever fought and killed Goliath, he was fighting lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. And before Jesus ever hung on a wooden cross, he was a simple carpenter. Like preparation precedes pioneering, and maybe today, God wants you to be faithful where you are right now, knowing that he may have more for you later. One of the most powerful aspects of the whole passage, I think, is the fact that Jesus stands next to the Father. And I think the reason Jesus stands is because Jesus stands for Stephen because Stephen stood for him. He stands for Stephen because Stephen stood for him. You see, a true pioneer's effort never goes to waste. Someone who who goes first, it never goes to waste. Someone who who works hard where nobody else has gone before, it never goes to waste. It always pays off. You can't hurry the harvest, it will come. And the same is true for Stephen here. Because I think Jesus is standing because he knows after Stephen's death, what's gonna take place starting in chapter eight is the church is going to explode. The, The reason we're standing here today, we are seated here today, you can trace back to Stephen's martyrdom because Stephen did what he did, the church exploded and literally went to the ends of the earth. But also you can't overlook the fact that in the passage, as he's being stoned, there are people who are laying their coats down so they can throw the rocks harder and they're laying those coats down in front of who? A man named Saul. If you know anything about the story of Acts, we find very soon in a few chapters, Saul is converted to Christianity. He goes from persecuting the church to becoming the leader of the church. He writes over half of the New Testament. His name is changed to Paul, but it goes back to his time, I believe, as he watches as Stephen loses his life for his faith in Jesus. So I just wonder, if you feel like the things you're doing now don't make a difference, I think they do. You may not be able to see it yet, but I think Jesus knows where it's going. He knows where it's headed. He knows that it's worth it. So this morning, I wanna give us a chance just to respond to what's been said today, to respond to God's word. Maybe even as we've talked, you've thought in your mind, like, I wanna be a pioneer. Like, I wanna do things that nobody else will do. I do want to try things I've never done. I wanna be stretched. And this morning, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that. So we're gonna pray together. I going to invite you just to close your eyes and just open your heart and mind to the spirit of God if you sense that God brings something to your heart that he cares about, that you want to care about, just say yes to him. If you can think about a ministry in this church that you've never been a part of, but you wanna try, just say yes to him. Just allow him to speak to you this morning. So today, if if you want to respond to what you feel like God is placing on your heart, maybe you don't even know what it means yet. You you don't know where it's headed yet. It feels risky. That's good. Would you just say yes to him? I want to invite you just wherever you are, wherever you're seated, just to put your hand in the air because I want to pray for you this morning. Just boldly, if you would, like I want to do something. I want to be a pioneer for you, God. I want to try something that's never been done. I want to make a difference. Just put your hands in the air. I want to pray for you. saying, I'll be faithful, God, whatever it means, I'll be faithful. God, I pray over every person with their hand raised this morning, God, it is their physical way of saying yes to you, that they will trust you, they will follow you, they will go places they've never gone before and so God, I pray that whatever is on their heart right now, whatever need they want to make a difference in, whatever ministry they want to give themselves to, God, I pray that you would help them to take the next step, to trust you in faith, to be a pioneer, to bleed first. And I pray, God, that in the future, years to come, we would see a difference that is made because of this moment right now. That lives would be ch- touched and brokenness would be healed. Our community would be transformed because there's some folks this morning that were willing to say yes. So God, we put it into your hands. We trust you. Fill them now by your spirit. Give them wisdom that they might serve and serve well. God, we love you this morning. We need you today. And everyone together said, amen.